You better lock the doors, turn up the radio, strap yourself in. Because it's time for the Matt Wyatt Show. The guy who's the color commentator for Mississippi State football and SEC baseball. So, yeah, he brings a lot to the game. And he's right here. Right now. now. Online at thezone1059.com and on your radio at ESPN 105.9 The Zone. It is Friday. Welcome into the weekend. You have made it, at least at this point in the weekend. Anywho, welcome to the Friday show. I got a little special beginning here for you and a fun show. We're live with you today on The Zone and on uh, WVBG Vicksburg later tonight. WBLE Baseball and others. Welcome into the show. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Matt. In the Bureau of the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, it is opening day for college baseball in the state of Mississippi. Sing along, kids. Yes. All right. So it is opening day. Coming up later, we're going to check in with Bart Gregory live from the broadcast booth at Duty Noble Field. You've got first pitch scheduled between State and Long Beach State at Duty Noble Field at 2 p.m. Later today, you're going to have Ole Miss hosting uh, Charleston Southern. A whole bivy of games. So to start you off here today, something special. You've heard a little bit about, over the last couple of days, this sort of look-back video that I published looking back at Mississippi State's College World Series Championship last summer. And uh, lots have watched it, a lot of positive comments, and there are really neat interviews in there, including some friends of mine. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, and Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports. Um, Michael Richardson from the Alumni Association at Mississippi State. Lots of other stuff in there. So, with that, I want to play for you. I want you to hear some of those interviews. You're going to hear a big portion of that look-back video just sort of as a primer. One last time. We haven't thrown out first pitch for this season. This is sort of a primer looking ahead to the upcoming season. Here's that look-back at the championship run, we'll begin you, uh, kind of be- start you off here at a portion in the video where I'm interviewing Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports. Did you know? No. I, In fact, I dreaded the trip. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because I was going to have to do content. I was going to be on camera. I was going to have to react good or bad. I didn't want to have to go be sad on camera. I, I just, I, I don't like that. I don't enjoy it. Uh, football season has given me more of that than I can stand over recent years. But, so, Mississippi State isn't like a lot of other schools that you haven't won a national title in 50, 60, 70, or 80 years. First of all, we'd never won it. But second, we have been close in the last decade three times. 2013 baseball and then women's basketball did everything but women win a national championship. And we thought we had it. And so last year when we were playing for another one, I was like, oh, I just don't want to go get close again without getting there. In sports, coaches, players, we are trained to never get too up or too down. You, you didn't quite, you didn't get that, did you? I, um, those lessons didn't get through to me. (laughs) (laughs) Those, those. In sports, you should be even keel. You shouldn't ride an emotional roller coaster. The Brandon Walker Mississippi State experience is one of extreme highs and extreme lows. We know where it ended up, but there was a lot of existential dread within me the whole time. 
Okay, and I thought I remembered that, but you went at the beginning of the tournament, correct? I went, yeah, when they when they made the, the College World Series, Barstool made the decision, we're sending y'all out there, we're gonna send you because your team's in it. I said, okay. They said, stay until your team's out of it. And I said, all right, and um, spent two weeks in Omaha. Everywhere I went, the restaurants I went to, the shops that I went to, all the local folks were saying, wow, y'all travel so well. How many of you came? I can't believe you have such a great number. Uh, your fans are so much nicer than the LSU fans that normally show up. First up in Omaha were the Texas Longhorns and their ace, first rounder, Ty Madden. Lamonis countered with Will Bednar. On a 3-2, got him. 94, and he strikes him out. Yeah, looking back at that game, you kind of felt like whoever blinked first was probably going to lose because we had Will Bednar, they had Ty Madden. But you think back a little bit before, you know, Will Bednar had not thrown that great against Notre Dame. This is on this one right here. It's fastball, not absolutely at the top of the zone, but not too far. I was a little bit worried because I knew how good Texas was. I think that's one of the things that gets lost a little bit as we look back to last year. We think about that three-game series with Vanderbilt. Texas was an outstanding team. Yep. Saw the heater, saw the slider. And Ty Madden, who we had beat early in the year, was playing his best baseball. The thing that I didn't see happening was Will Bednar just played two of the best weeks of baseball that anybody at Mississippi State's ever played. From June 20th to June 30th of 2021, Will Bednar is the greatest Mississippi State baseball player of all time. That is without contestation, that is stone cold fact. What Will Bednar did was incredible. Landon Sims closed the door as usual. State was 1-0 in Omaha. Let's listen to the crowd here and the team come off the bench. Fifteen strikeouts for Bednar, and already he's handing the ball off to his teammate with a strike on the hitter he's facing. Next up was Virginia and pitcher Griff McGarry, who took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Didn't work there as he strikes him out. Hancock the first K of the night for McGarry. He's got one of those two. Fastball up to 95 so far, then he drops a slider on him. And... You know what happened. We're down 4 nothing. It's a no-hitter, which was the most fraudulent no-hitter of all time. We had been knocking the crap out of the ball for about three innings before we finally got a hit. Here in the fifth, this ball to left field towards the gap, tapping, going over, and he'll make the play. Got him swinging it. Slider in the dirt. They'll throw to first. Another strikeout, but Gary fired up there. And then after, a Scotty DeBrule walk. Eighth on a 3-2. Down, ball four. Kellum Clark gets up there and barrels one up. And that ball is drilled to right field and it is deep and Teal goes back, looks up, it's gone! A two-run home run, Kellum Clark, Mississippi State off the map, the first hit allowed from Griff McGarry. And it's 4-2 now, Virginia. I actually didn't see it happen. I. Uh, was really frustrated, I was nervous, I was anxious, and I got in my car and I drove around the outskirts of Starville listening to Jim Ellis. There's a drive to right field and I don't think anybody will catch it. It's in the bullpen, a two-run homer for Kellum Clark. He breaks up the no-hitter. And I remember that home run and then I started doing the math in my head, where are we in the order? And I said, if this thing gets back to Tanner Allen, we're gonna win this baseball game. 
anyway, uh, it's 4-2, then we hit the home run, and that's when Tanner Allen hits the, the, the iconic home run, and I go, I think that's the first time I really got on camera, and from then on, he kept, he kept circling back to me. I did not see either home run. I was in my car, driving around Starkville. Ball is lifted in the air, And I wasn't going to break up the momentum I had going. Look, I don't trust a baseball fan who's not a little bit superstitious, and I wasn't breaking that up. There Give it so, and that's it. What a weapon Landon Sims. What a comeback for Hale State. They get that win over Virginia set up a rematch with Texas. State needed one win to punch its ticket to the finals. Texas needed two. Texas built a lead, and then State, with three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, was able to tie the ball game. But in the top of the ninth, Texas found the long ball. A three-run shot, forcing a deciding game. It's a three-run home run. We're down 5-2, to two, and we come back, just like we did against Virginia. We come back, we inch back, we fight back, and it's 5-5 five to five in the eighth, and oh my, it's different this time, it's different this time. Where's that ball going? Oh my, okay, it's not different this time. It's not different at all. That Texas home run was a, was a spear to the heart. Forcing a do-or-die match the following day, and again, State turned to Will Bednar. Bednar struck out seven, and in the seventh inning, gave the ball to Landon Sims. The game was tied 3-3, and in the bottom of the ninth, Kellum Clark, hit by a pitch, put a runner on first base. Lamonis elected to pinch run Braylon Skinner, and after a throw over and a pitch, he sent him. Runner goes. Arduan's throw is high, and he is still in second base. Braylon Skinner putting pressure on Texas. Backup infielder Tanner Leggett found himself in a position to be the hero. 1-1 to Tanner Leggett. Lamonis makes the switch, Braylon Skinner steals the base, and then bam, Leggett hits the ball. And I just, I believe in sports, there are certain aesthetics, right? There, some passes look better than others in football. Some passes look better than others in basketball. That was the prettiest line drive I've ever seen. It was a gorgeous line drive. Like it came off the bat, just curving beautifully. And just and like, I just, I, I didn't even, I didn't even yell or scream. I just, I just raised my hands like, uh, here we go. Leggett in 21. This is why I love this sport so I was much. sitting on my couch at home, and I'm sitting on the couch with my 10-year-old son and my wife, and my seven-year-old son is sitting on the side over there, and I'm watching on stat broadcast. I've got it pulled up on my phone, and I see that we win it before it's actually happened on TV. And so as crazy as this sounds, I know this is, this is corny as I'll get out, I just got quiet and I just watched my son. I wanted to see his reaction because I knew but I just wanted to see how he reacted to it. It was just as good as I thought it would be. The thing that Chris Lamonis does is he makes everybody on this team understand that whatever their role is, it's valuable. And they need to be ready whenever their time comes, whenever that may be. And you take guys who have been in the lineup and out of the lineup and haven't played, take a Braylon Skinner who hadn't played in a while and he gets a big stolen base. You think about Tanner Leggett who had his time at second, his time at third, and then been out of the lineup. Those guys could have easily given up on this season, and Chris Lamonis never let that happen.
Vandy, if you remember, got a free ride to the finals. They just they got a pen, a rose on their nose. Hey, you guys are great. Tapped them in a little tushy and said, Hey, let's 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 let your pitching be at the maximum. We want lighter to start. You go to the finals and wait for Mississippi State. <laughs> Thank you, NCAA. <laughs> anyway, going into the finals, I was nervous. You knew they have Jack Leiter, you know they have Kumar Rocker, and you know that to win it, you're going to have to beat one of the best pitchers, not just in the country that year, but in the history of college baseball. You knew the first game that they had the best pitcher in college baseball going in, in Leiter, and he was going to be tough to handle. We were all a little bit um, pensive about knowing that a certain whistler would be in the building, but that's okay. Uh, so it's um, Saturday night we beat Texas, and Saturday night it's all happy. Then you wake up on Sunday, and here comes Uncle Dredd again. I don't know that I can handle getting this close and losing again. I don't know that I can handle – I would have rather lost in two games than lose to these whistling jack because you know you got that. You got you – got, they got great pitching. They got a great team. They've beaten us two out of three, but also – we got a little thing going here. You know, we come out early, we hit the home run. Cam James hits a home run, we take the lead early. And that ball is to left and it is drilled. And it is gone! What a start for State! Cameron James, 12th. And the 14th home run allowed by Leiter this year. It's one nothing dogs. And then they build out leads. And so, I think one of the biggest things that people don't look back to is, one of the best things that ever happened to us was get blown out in game one. We didn't burn through a lot of guys that we had relied a lot on all year. And that's not taking away anything from the guys that pitched in that game. But it allowed you to kind of hold back. After a comfortable win for Vandy in game one, State faced elimination in game two. They couldn't pitch Will Bednar on just two days rest. So Scott Foxhall went with lefty, the veteran, Houston Harding. Right down the middle, strike three. Good start for Harding and listen to the place. I don't know if Thanos was wearing maroon. I don't know if there was somebody with a light switch, but it went from, I I'm scared we're gonna get close and not make it to, I mean, it's just a matter of time. This is the better team. It was as thorough a decisive victory as I have ever seen. Not just, not just game two, but game two and game three was, these two teams really, for whatever reason, don't belong on the same field right now. 2-2 two -two to Dominic Keegan. Swinging, here we go. He's off and running, and that ball is ripped into the corner. It will go. Thomas fields it. James is waved. He is in. It's one nothing state. It was just ground ball, line drive, ground ball, line drive, ground ball, line drive. And Vandy was making mistakes, and they were nervous, and we were just. That, you know, that's my shooting hand. We were just uh, cool as the other side of the pillow. Yeah. Do you think the crowd had an effect? I I don't know how it couldn't have. I mean, Vandy is a great program, one of the best baseball programs. They built something incredible, and they're used to playing in front of 2,500 people who are whistling idiots, and they're having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you have the entire state of Mississippi in maroon telling you that you're not going to win tonight. I, it's going to start getting old. And plus, it was a maroon tidal wave. Like it, if they were in a two-to-one game, maybe maybe it isn't as as bad. But when it gets to five nothing, six nothing, and people are going crazy, how do you fight back from that? Thanks to walks. This one back up the middle. 
Stephen James in. Hancock is waved in. And a good piece of hitting and another tough break for Vanderbilt. Baseball go for any sport. And this should do it on the ground. That will do it. And a dominating performance for Mississippi State. They win it 13-2 and set up a game three. State's win in game two of the finals set up the matchup. And going into that final game, I actually spent the day walking around Omaha by myself, staying away from everybody. And I kept having the thought, if Mississippi State's going to win this game, Will Bednar has to be better on three days rest than Kumar Rocker is on four. Hey, anything can happen late in the year. That's why Coastal Carolina won a national championship. That's why Fresno State won a national championship. It just, everything has to fall in place for you at the end of the season. You get inside the stadium, you watch BP, you do all this. Somebody sings a national anthem, right? There's, there's all this. And I, we need something to happen early in this game to calm my nerves. The very first pitch of the game goes boop, hard right, right to right field. Rowdy Jordan took the lid off immediately, and there was never any sense of dread. It couldn't get in because Rowdy Jordan didn't let it in. And Rocker, that's a great start for Rowdy Jordan. One pitch, one hit, fastball into right field. We got one on, one out, and there's a ground ball back to Rocker. Great. And then he throws it away again. Every time just a centimeter of an opening happened, it just, it became a crater because of the state fans and the state team, which was relentless. Nasty slider, he swings and he is tagged out by Logan Tanner. Good call, Eddie. He brought that pitcher right back into it on a 2-0 swing. 3-2 on the ground, a short fielded Forsyth. DeBrule, double play. This ball is poked to left field off the bat of Logan Tanner. It's gone, Logan Tanner, home run. Mississippi State adds another. Kellen Clark's home run in, against Vanderbilt in game three is my favorite Mississippi State sporting moment I've ever experienced live. When you're up 3-0, you feel good. When you're up 5-0, you feel really good. When you're up 6-0, you feel pretty good. But when you're up 9-0, when Kellum Clark hits that ball, which I know it landed about 10 rows back, to me it landed on the moon. When I saw that ball get off his bat, it was immediate. It wasn't, yeah, he hit a home run. It was, we just won the national championship. This ball is to right center field and deep. Bradfield going back, looking up. See you later. Three run home run from Kellum Clark and it's a blowout. You're doing the math, you're doing everything, you're, you're worried, you're worried, you're worried, who's this, who's that? There goes that ball, and it's it just won you a national championship. And that's the moment, because the ovation he got was the home run ovation. It's the, oh my God, look at that ball. But the ovation didn't die. It stayed. It stayed because 24,000 people realized the moment they had wanted, they had chased, they had dreamed of, was here, 
and we were watching it. And I don't know that we got a hit. I think we got one more hit after Kellen Clark. It didn't matter. Nobody stopped smiling. Nobody stopped standing. Nobody stopped hugging. The second Kellen Clark hits that ball, we have won the national title. The only comparable experience I ever had was when Mississippi State won in Lexington in 1996 to go to the Final Four. We was in Rupp Arena, and I remember we had gone out to the concourse, and nobody really wanted to leave because they knew that once they left, this moment was over and that we weren't going to recapture it. And there was a lot of that after winning in Omaha. Well, I was sitting in the stands, uh, first base side, you know, section 105, and I'm one off the aisle. I've got Sims with me to my left. I got Wells and Jen to my right. And, and so to be able to spend it with them, because there's a lot of you know, little league games that I've missed. There's, there's a lot of things that I've missed of, of my families. But to get there and to, and to enjoy it with them, it, it really meant a lot. Chaos, madness, cowbells, symphonies of just euphoria throughout the entire lobby. We, athletics gave me a, a, a stack of posters to give to fans, and I couldn't, there weren't enough. I didn't want to leave downtown Omaha after the game. I wanted to stay up all night because you've kind of waited your whole life for something like this. And once it came, just the genuine emotion, the outpouring of excitement, and the number of people who just wanted to get on the phone and call their mom, call their dad, call their brother, and to kind of share that moment together is, is something I'll never forget. With a new season, a new team, we know this, there will be ups, there will be some downs, and as hard as it is to go win one championship, it might even be more difficult to win back to back. But you just never know. All right, hope you enjoyed that audio version of the Look Back video. Now it's time to look ahead. The season's starting today. We'll pick that up where we left off. Coming up next, y'all stick around. Are you ready? Brace yourself. Now back to the Matt Wyatt Show. All right, back with you. Here we go. Rolling along with you live on this Friday, live in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Insurance. Go with the home team. I got hot coffee from High Point Roasters in New Albany, Mississippi, considering it is quite chilly outside. It's even kind of chilly in here. It's good that I have hot coffee. Again, get your coffee there. High Point Roasters, highpointroasters.com. You can order it comes from uh, Dan the Coffee Man at New Albany. I highly recommend it. Give it a shot if you haven't already. You'll see what I mean. Lots of different uh, roasts and blends and flavors that you can try. And you can see them all there online. And I appreciate the uh, kind words on the text line, the country-pleasing text line wide open to you here on this Friday. A good way for you to be a part of the show. Uh, thanks, Boomer Sooner and Matt Daddy and Hog Jowl and Jeremy and David and Free American and all y'all, I really do appreciate all of the uh, kind texts on the look back video. Glad everybody enjoyed that. And as we move forward today, feel free to be a part of the show that way. The number to text, 601 number, 885-ESPN. It's 885-ESPN or 885-3776. Let me, I, I have actually, we have some you know, sort of breaking news in the college football world. I'm going to give you that in about uh, one minute from right now. 
But I do want to address this. Clay just sent a text and says, what are the ways to watch or listen to the games this weekend? Glad you asked. Okay, so Clay, um, assuming you're listening right now to Jackson Metro, I know this. Anywhere you hear my voice on the radio, you can listen to the Mississippi State games uh, either on that same station or on a sister station. Like, for instance, here in Jackson, Bill, make sure I get this right. It's 106.3. Yeah, 1400 AM, 106.3. It's uh, WJQS, the fan. And you can also listen to our the app that's there or go to WJQS.com and listen to it worldwide. Okay. That's WJQS. So in the Jackson area, 106.3 FM, 1400 AM. And they'll be carrying the baseball games. Uh, 1.30 today. This, okay, and, and that's right. So first pitch today, Clay, is at 2 o'clock. That means the pregame with Jim Ellis will have a 30-minute run-up, a 30-minute pregame. That will start at 1.30 uh, here for the season opener. Um, I will tell you also, earlier today, in fact, I meant to actually retweet that. I don't guess I did. Maybe I missed it. Uh, Joel Coleman, you all know he works at Mississippi State now. He tweeted out a list of if you're in other areas of the state or traveling around and want to switch from one station to the other, the list of affiliates that carry Mississippi State baseball. But in terms of watching, Clay, it is so nice to live in an age of technology from this perspective. You can watch the games um, on your phone via the SEC Network Plus which, you know, you have access to that in several different ways. If you have a carrier that carries the SEC network, you have a login. It's the ESPN app, basically, you know, on your phone. We used to call it Watch ES. Well, it started as ESPN3, if you remember that. It was the online version. Then they changed the name to Watch ESPN. And now I guess it's what, ESPN Plus maybe or something like that or just the ESPN app, but... Anyway, you, all these games are going to be streaming online on the SEC Network Plus. And uh, if everything goes according to plan, I may be up there to call one of those this weekend. And You'll have Bart and Charlie today on that. Uh, I know Ole Miss's games are going to be on the SEC Network Plus as well. All the SEC teams have those, except there's one SEC team that's actually on the road, and that may change that, but it may not. I, you know, I don't – I can't – speak to i think somebody's going to nickels or whatever i don't know if they have streaming or not there video wise but as far as uh mississippi state you're taking care of on the radio and via streaming online hope that uh, answers the question yeah real quick here here is the breaking news from a football perspective you may have seen this but just in case you haven't uh college football playoff Leaders, I guess conference commissioners, but others as well, people on the playoff committee, people like Bill Hancock. College football playoff voted and announced today they will not expand in the final four years upcoming here of the current contract. So the playoff's going to remain at four teams in college football through 2025, through the 2025 season. Now, Brett McMurphy said that's great news for the Bulls, which are going to survive intact for another four years. Maybe some insight there, okay, as to why decisions are made. Because I saw someone else, I think it was Ivan Mazel, who said this. 
you, you got the news, by the way, on the uh, college football playoff, like official accounts, and they put it on their website and all that kind of stuff. Ivan Mazel, who's been covering college football particularly for a long, long time, he tweeted, I had a coach tell me last night that the commissioners need to come together and set rules on the tough issues facing the sport. Good luck. They can't come together to accept a payout of billions of dollars. Who's looking out for college football? And given the circles that Ivan Mazel runs in and the people that he talks to, to me that's pretty telling to see this announcement today from College Football Playoff Committee uh, they're going to remain at four teams at least through 2025. The remainder of this contract's not going to expand. And a guy like Ivan Mazel says, who's even looking out for college football? I will tell you that it's really, really obvious, at least in my lifetime, which is getting to be a pretty good chunk of, you know, I'm pushing, I'm getting closer and closer every day to half a hundred. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's first you know, in, in my lifetime, it is the most volatile environment surrounding college football. The most, um, yeah, just the most volatile situation that the sport finds itself in in my entire lifetime. And that goes for you too, whether we realize it or not. That is a true statement. My opinion on this, I, I don't really know one way or the other. Like, does expanding the playoff actually give more teams a, a, a shot to build themselves into a championship contender? And I worded that very, very carefully. You go, because if, if you were to say expanding the playoff gives more teams a shot at a true championship. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Hands down, yeah. Right? Because right now, they're going to put four in there every year like they've been doing. They have a le- Those four, when it gets down to it, have a legit shot to win a legit championship. Well, if you expand it to 12, that's eight more teams that get a legit shot at a real championship. Sure. But I worded it very carefully. What I said was, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not ready to get up on the stump and lobby for the fact or the idea that expand, listen closely, expanding the playoff gives more teams a chance to build themselves into the kind of team that can win the championship. That's not, that we don't know. I mean, because you could very well expand the playoff and say, we got a 12 team playoff, and it turns out there's still ain't but about two or three teams and programs and schools that are gobbling up all of the best recruiting classes and lining up all the best players like they've been doing, Alabama and Ohio State, and those are still generally where the champions are going to come from, Georgia in that number now too. And and telling Oregon, okay, and Florida State, you know, and occasionally Central Florida or somebody, hey, you're in the playoff. That gives them no more shot to actually beat Georgia or Alabama. I mean, there's still that gap, that talent gap that college football has created for itself because of money and recruiting. They still don't have really that much of a shot actually beating those teams, but they're quote-unquote in the playoff. And that's the reason that a lot of people 
Some, anyway, have argued against the playoff. Is going, well, why would you expand the playoff? It's still going to be the same teams that wind up down at the end of it. Okay, fine. To me, I've used reverse logic on that and said, well, that's exactly why you should. If you're telling me all you're doing is it's more semantics than anything else and you're just going to rake in the money, <laughs> then you know if you're just looking at it purely from a crude business standpoint, it's like hey, Ivan Mazel says. These commissioners can't even get their heads together and accept what would be a payout of billions of dollars if they expand. Well, maybe they're looking at other things. The, the thing that I look at, I go back to a comment like that from Brett McMurphy, who said, you know, it's going to remain at four teams. And he goes, it's great news for bowls, which will survive intact for another four years. That's weird to me. That's, that's kind of weird to me. Because I'm going, well, in an expanded playoff, nobody ever talked about doing away with bowls. You're actually adding more games. Why would that affect the bowls negatively if you did that? I, I don't really understand that piece of it at all. That surprised me. But who's looking out for college football? That's according to Ivan Mazel. Listen, y'all. Sooner than later, you're going to have a big, giant split. The top teams in the top conferences with the biggest fan bases and the most money and the biggest followings are going to split off and go do their own thing. They're going to have an entirely different format. But it is volatile. You can't even get people in the Southeastern Conference, coaches and ADs, to agree with each other right now on what their schedule makeup ought to be when Oklahoma and Texas come. So nobody knows really what to do. Why change it until you figure out what to do, I guess. Y'all stick around. And now the guy who's not bald. He's just taller than his hair is. Nice hair! It's a Matt Wyatt Show. All right, back. Glad to be with you today on this Friday. It's game day around here in the state of Mississippi. Opening day of college baseball. We'll give you game times and schedules, and we'll, we'll kind of preview the games coming up a little bit later in Hour 2. Uh, plenty to get to here. A little bit of, I guess you could call it. Excuse me. I need to pour some more coffee. I'm afraid I'm falling a little under the weather. <laughs> and I'm trying to make it through here today as best I can. Got a busy weekend ahead, so I better recover quick whatever's going on. Uh but uh, I didn't know we were going to get into football today, but we do have this news. And after I mentioned that to you, that news a little bit ago, I got a text on the Country Pleasing text line that's really interesting. And then a tweet here that I saw that's interesting. And I want to cover this, okay? The NCAA announcing, well, really it's the college football playoff folks announcing that they will not expand the college football playoff they're going to ride out the remaining contract and stay at four teams in the playoff through 2025 and then you know, figure it out from there. And seeing by that time you're going to have the fully expanded SEC taking place with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. And it's uh, about to get big. And I made that statement. You know, I kind of read you off what a few people are thinking. 
one guy mentioning, well, this means bowls stay intact for three, four more years. I'm like, what? I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Bowls? I mean, we're adding games if you expand the playoff. Well, that's just that's weird to me. And then <clears throat> Ivan Mazel saying that a coach told him the commissioners need to get together and make rules to address all these things that are going on. Um, but they can't even get their heads together to agree to expand the playoffs, which means extra billions of dollars for for the sport. He says, who's looking out for college football? Insinuating that the people in, there's a lot of people in charge that have begun to all look out for themselves, whether it be you know their own school, their own conference, and not necessarily looking out for the greater thing, the whole league, if you will, and what's the right thing collectively. That's kind of where we are. The old model is crumbling, if not already, but it's smoldering. It's being burned to the ground. It's dead. It's over. And now we are living through the throes of leaders in, in college athletics trying to figure out what to build in its place. That's the reality. This is, that's not hyperbole. That's the reality. The old thing is dead as a doornail. Now, we're going to have games. It's not like they're going to hold off till they figure it out. We're going to have games, and we're going to have seasons and stuff. But, but the old model and framework, uh, rules that everybody played by, you know, everything you do, every competition has rules, right? Everybody, I don't care if it's church league softball. You have rules that both teams have to abide by. You have somebody there enforcing the rules, umpires. It's just what contests and competition are. Listen, you and I, you and I, in terms of college football, really college sports, but especially the big ones, college football, we're living through a time where we don't even have rules, let alone anybody to enforce what rules you do have. <laughs> we are living through that, y'all. It's wild. And the leaders in college football have got to get their heads together to figure out what to rebuild. And are you going to put a front porch? Are you going to put in a pool? Are you going to rebuild? Is it going to be a brick structure? Is it going to be floor system or slab? They don't even know any of that. And so what's happening is the SEC is like, listen, we got a good thing going. We could just play ourselves for 12 games, and we'd be fine. Our TV contracts would hold up. So we're going to cover our own rear end to a degree over here. Meanwhile, Big 12 is going, well, we would kind of like to cover our own rear end, but we're not sure if we got a rear end to cover. You see what I mean? I mean, it is totally up in the air. So with that said, let me read this to you. Unnamed texter said, because I, I made the statement, what's, what's going to happen, there's going to be a big split where the top of the college football world is going to split off, do its own thing, new rules, going to pay all their players, put them on contracts, make them employees, stuff like that. I don't know. Every, even players have buyouts, do it like the NFL. I don't know. They're going to do something because they have to. They have no choice. Well, an unnamed texter says on the country pleasing sausage text line, the big split in college football has already happened. In the SEC with Oklahoma and Texas, the SEC is now a super conference that will take up half or more of the top ten spots in the polls every year. Well, you know what? You're right. You're exactly right. Okay, and it doesn't matter if they hurried up and did it now. I wish I knew your name. If they hurried up and did it now or if they wait and do it 
on time, on schedule in four or five years when Texas and Oklahoma come to the SEC. But you're right. Big split in college football is already happening. (laughs) It's underway because here comes Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Just like I said, if nobody else joined them, they could have a 16-team super conference and just do their own thing. Let me give you an example of why that's a reality also. RG3, Heisman winner from Baylor, Robert Griffin III. He put this on Twitter, okay, and there's a lot of feedback and blowback and some agree and some disagree, but he put this on Twitter. Robert Griffin III said, if the college football playoff is going to stay at four teams through 2026, just make it the four highest-ranked conference champions. Otherwise, it'll continue to be two SEC schools versus the rest of the country. Two SEC schools versus the nation. So he's saying, you know, do four teams, whatever, but but reward conference champions. Okay, listen, y'all pay attention to this. I know you've probably got a reaction to that. But there was a comment underneath, and I guarantee you many of us have thought this whenever we see that kind of stuff. We think, well, that's just people that don't want to see a bunch of SEC teams playing each other anymore. The first comment was, Georgia and Alabama were the two best teams this year, though. How could they not both be in the Final Four? Okay, that's true. Answer these questions. Were Georgia and Alabama the two best teams or at least two of the four best teams this year? Yes, hands down, no question. It's absolutely they were. Are they both from the SEC? Yes. Did they play a rematch? Yes. All these things. But there's a comment right after that. I want you to consider this because I think this is valid. I think it holds water. The very next comment says, if the two best teams are in the AFC, are they playing each other in the Super Bowl? Oh, well, the best teams are in the SEC, so we're we're putting the best teams in the playoff. Put them in. Well, it's a, how very SEC of us. They are the two best teams. Yeah. They sure are. Could we argue? Could we also argue from time to time? I'm just using this year as an example. I mean, you could argue if you want to, but what if you said, well, the two best teams in the NFL this year were the Rams and the Packers, and they're both in the NFC they should, since they're the two best teams, they're both in the same conference. They still should be able to play each other for the national championship. To heck with the AFC. Do you get what I'm saying? Y'all, listen. There is a reason the NFL is king. It has been, it is, and it will continue to be. And do you know one way to describe the reason? It's because they have 32 owners who collectively make decisions that are best for all of them. They, are, they have 32 owners that sit down at a table and make rules and things to follow so that the league as a whole is as strong as it can be. Because they are smart. And they understand if you're going to be in a league... 
call it a conference or a division. If you're going to be in a league, it's best to have parity. It's best to have interest across the league. You can call it fair playing field all you want to, but what they're calling it is, it's smart. And you come out of the if you come out of the NFC, you go to the Super Bowl. And if you come out of the AFC, you go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but Matt, the two best teams in the NFL were the 49ers and the Rams. That's right. And since they're in the same conference, they had to play each other in the what? The conference championship game. And the winner moved on. Faced somebody else from the other conference. The NFL gets it right. College football does not get it right. I'm as SEC as the rest of y'all. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We can't be closed-minded. And you have to understand, what's best for all of college football is for the whole thing to be stronger and more solid and more together, especially at the top of the decision-making areas. Okay, and just sitting here going, well, the best teams are in the SEC, put them in. That's not what's best. If you win the Southeastern Conference, you earn yourself into the playoff. And the same should be true for other conferences, too. And until it is, we'll enjoy college football and following our team, and we will really look forward to turning on the TV on Sundays and following all the teams. That's the way it is now, and that's the way it's going to be until the leaders in college football get their heads out of their rear ends. Stick around. Hour 2 coming up.